This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. Tom, you're the one who wanted to talk about the episode topic. Episode topic is the introduction to scenarios. Yes. I am tempted to make a joke about how we just make it sound like we're just starting the topic in the middle. Okay. I think, well, but, but, but surely you must have had something that, that caused you to want to do this as an episode subject. Uh, my thing is I don't really like delivering mission briefings during a the game. They're one of those things that feel really necessary to give the players the information they need to start off, but it just seems like a boring info dump a lot of the time. So I was trying to figure out how to make them interesting or at least kick off a scenario in an interesting way that isn't just 20 minutes of people going back and forth sitting at a conference table. Yeah, Tom, uh, basically, if if you recall from our earlier section about uh, reading descriptive text, you've got about three sentences to keep the player's attention before you had better let them do something or make a decision or otherwise actually play the game. Otherwise, they're just going to stop listening and then you're going to have to repeat yourself anyways. What? what? Sorry. <laughs> no, that was good. You beat me to it. <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. And that was a good segment. And that's something I try to keep in mind. And so the way I started to move in the way I think about it is just to make the briefings as short as possible or just try to obviate them completely. So I'm always a little favorably disposed towards scenarios that allow me to do that, to minimize that sort of thing. I think the main value of beginning scenarios with a briefing rather than a, you know, frantically in the car to get into the crime scene is that we've, we've talked before about kind of our dissatisfaction with how many scenarios, at least in my case, it's dissatisfaction with how many scenarios are get to the crime scene and start cracking heads immediately because this mystery is not going to wait for you to solve it. And so rather than an investigation, it's just constantly just this meat grinder of go to place, you know, fight with them, fight with people, shoot guns. And the characters, you know, the re- there's no, there's no like ever, no one ever uses the requisition rules because even the shortest one takes place outside the time span of the scenario. The characters that are designed around things that work more long-term like journalists or, you know, program managers get fucked uh, scientists who'd have to take days to get results for anything get fucked. So I'm liking this. I, I do. I do think that scenarios that start with something fun happening are better. But I want a way to incorporate that that doesn't just screw people who have a actual like who who, who want to do planning and want to do invest investigative stuff. Well, that makes me think. What if you kind of merge? the briefing scene with the scene that comes after whatever that might be. So if you're going to investigate a murder, maybe instead of having like a, a separate meeting with your case officer in a secure conference room, maybe your case officer slash your contact is another FBI agent who's already investigating the case and they kind of pull you aside at the crime scene. So one of the guys is getting the briefing while another guy is doing forensic stuff and looking at blood spatters and things like that. What about, what do you guys think about scenarios in which there is no briefing? The problem with scenarios that are that don't have briefings is that you do need some way to get the players to interact with the scenario. What 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 excuse would you give for the players arriving at the play area and engaging with the mystery if not being told to by an NPC? Uh, what I would do is I would start. I guess I would start with one or more of the agents coming across a very strange case in the course of their day jobs, phoning it in to the program, being told, all right, here's a couple of guys in your area. Go check it out. You know what, though? At this point in my like evolving understanding of the Delta Green meta uh, and just the way that I feel about program games, if my character found something in their daily lives that was Delta Green related, I'm honestly not sure that I'd call it in just because I'd rather be allowed to deal with it with myself than have to fucking deal with the program's bullshit. I mean, that still yeah. sounds like a really good setup for a 90s I would, I would summon, I would summon the, the other members of the scenario. I would summon the other players. Like with Slamdance Clambake, how that scenario, in that scenario, it's just you phone your friends and tell them to come help you investigate the mystery. It's not... Yeah. 
you participate in a bureaucratic apparatus that lies to you and demands that you do things but doesn't help you and slaps your hand whenever you try to do anything fun. So yeah, I'm 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 liking this idea that the player character is the that the problem is then that if you, you can't have a, a sneer, then it's pre-written. If you have a scenario that depends on a character having a specific interaction, then you need to write the scenario with a specific character type in mind. So if you want something that happened to happen to a scientist or to an FBI agent, then you need to write a hook that engages that character type. I think that is one of the benefits of a mission briefing, in addition to being able to give you a bunch of information on the spot. It just kind of reminds you, this is literally your job. You are here to go out and look into this thing. Like by taking away a little bit of agency, it kind of reinforces this is what the scenario is going to be about tonight, rather than you kind of going off into the weeds trying to do something else that the GM hasn't prepared for. I could talk about a couple of scenarios that I think do it in ways that really excite me, even if they kind of trigger the problem you mentioned before, Melon, about how it's kind of just race to the crime scene. Yeah, go ahead. I liked one of the shotgun scenarios, take home container, because... It's written in a very sparse way that I think didn't necessarily a lot of other people might not have loved, but I thought was really good because you can just kind of hard frame the scenario as you arriving up at this house. You've just been no, hard, told. Fr- hard frame is a more positive spin on straight railroad. I'm sorry. Go I, ahead. Mean, I mean, you've got to start it somewhere. And I feel like, well, I'll... no, no, Tom, Tom, you're absolutely correct, because it one of the things that I wrote down and one of the things that Will always says when he says uh, make a character that will play the scenario is the GM is obligated in turn to begin the scenario at the point where you have an interesting decision to make. If you begin the scenario before right. then, then you're just wasting everyone's time. So if right, exactly. if doing anything except going to the fucked up crime scene ends the scenario. I mean, well, one of the other scenarios I like for this is Sentinel's Twilight, which is basically the exact same problems you've just outlined. Yeah, I'm going to completely agree with you there. That scenario not only not only is a meat grinder, but is also, like, it solves itself if you do nothing. I like the way you can hard frame it to create this, like, unity of location. That the whole scenario takes place in this one kind of constrained pl- location, but to repeat myself. And once you leave, that's just the scenario over one way or another. Tom, you know what I'm thinking now? The more I think about what you're saying versus what I'm saying, the more I'm thinking that you're probably right. Because I'm just thinking about to the last like several scenarios that I ran where they started with the conventional briefing and the players having freedom of choice to do what they want. And it took about an hour and got them to the exact same place that they would have gotten if I just started the scenario there. So by giving them the the uh, the chance to ask every single question they could they could possibly think of to the NPCs to go on an elaborate shopping expedition for items, to go around in circles arguing and planning. And they always inevitably make the same decision that would be how the scenario would start if I just started it in media res. So I think the more that, the more I think about it, the more I think you're correct. Yeah, I think it just cre- it creates a faster pace too, like that. Like there's a bunch of things the players are going to do that are already kind of foregone conclusions they're going to do. So just kind of assume that has already happened in the background and start where things get interesting. One technique I've used with mixed success, depending on who I'm playing with, uh, is to take all that stuff that requires time that that starting in media's res assumes in the background and do that do that before the actual game starts. Like send an email blast out to your players and be like, okay, we're going to start here. If you want any requisitions done or you want anything special, tell me now. We'll resolve it. And otherwise, you, you start with whatever you have. I used to do that all the time on Night at the Opera. That would, If you go back and look at the, at the very early games, we did it in the Reddit thread and we had a dice roll bot and everything. And uh, I say that the reason, we, everyone says the reason it stops is that people got lazy. And that's definitely true. But one of the reasons I'm thinking that it also, we kind of cut out doing that is that uh, I think the average level of, of player knowledge of rules on Night of the Opera has gone down over time because at the beginning it was all diehards. And now that it's more established, there's more new people coming in. And so um, y'all know how much I love to explain the acquisition rules over and over again. And doing that through the format of a series of Reddit posts is even more delightful. <laughs> I'm thinking about the context of like a, a, a game with your friends, like a, 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 a table. Oh, absolutely, more like... yeah. Like a nor- you can do that very easily with a normal group. I'm actually thinking... I'm actually thinking that could be something we bring back at NATO if there's not a commitment that the character you're using to do that role in the comments is going to go on the operation. Like if you just bring someone as, let's say, an analyst role, 
and you can use their skills to get that one clue for everybody else going on the actual mission. I think if there was more of a yeah, if there was more of a like a, an elaborate meta game about like gathering intelligence and a shared world and so on, then those types of characters would probably be more useful. Although, on the other hand, um, it could end up just being the opposite, where a more dangerous world with more persistent consequences just encourages people to double down on the the hard hitting survivalist fourteen decks, eighty firearms characters. But yeah, I see. I see where you're getting at that. Um, having that extra layer really does change the equation when it comes to uh, what characters you bring. One thing that I notice from this discussion is that we talk we talked about where it's appropriate to start the scenario from the perspective of what makes the most interesting gameplay. But the other one that I, I think we've talked about being more difficult is putting together an introduction that makes sense within the fictional world regarding how the organization of Delta Green hears about the contents of the scenario. So why is it that Delta Green cares about something or why is it that they know to send the agents? And this is a very difficult thing to set up precisely or in a way that's that's both satisfying from a fiction in a fictional sense and also makes the gameplay good because if delta green knows nothing then the players get to discover a lot of stuff but they also spend a lot of time wandering around looking at nothing and wondering why is this even why do we even care about this if delta green knows everything and tells the players then there's no there's not so much discovery and that can be fine if you've got a scenario where it doesn't really matter like you don't want to worry about discovering the polyp secret weakness because that's not what people care about that's not what the scenario is about and one that shows up a lot in the published modules is delta green knows but doesn't tell the players which is not only very frustrating it also oftentimes makes no sense in in the game world yeah i can see why you might go for that and why it keeps showing up because it might it can instill a sense of paranoia if it's done correctly the problem is it's difficult to do correctly and when done incorrectly, it makes your players think it just introduces a bunch of plot holes. Like, well, what the hell? Why didn't they just give us this extra piece of information and we wouldn't have had to get ourselves, half of us killed at this point? It's something that's completely thematically appropriate in general, but in pretty much every specific case I can think of, it makes no sense. And even if it did, even if it is done correctly, I think it could still it would still probably piss people off. And the thing is that it would piss it pisses them off in character, but I think it also pisses them off out of character. The, that's fair. Uh, the, I think the ideal introduction is that there has to be something that's weird enough to make the the agency care about it and instantly point in directions of investigation that are interesting so that the game doesn't get stuck with the players looking for the looking for what the the plot's supposed to be but is also not so blindingly obvious what's going on that Delta Green has no excuse not to tell the players from the beginning hey we know that this is uh this is a problem and one of the one of the difficulties is that is that um if you have a if you have a scenario about discovering stuff, it can be very tempting to not put all the clues up front to have the introduction be something that's very sedate and they have to work their way up to the good stuff. But I'm finding more and more that you should lead with the good stuff, and then the rest of it can be can be backtracing that to a source or figuring out the mechanism by which it operates. You know, something that we've talked about previously is the idea of compartmentalizing what you, the player, know about the mythos and what your agent knows. And we've gone back and forth in this a bunch. And I think I mentioned once I wanted to try playing around with a meta in which in which that separation is less. Because I know, Max, I know, Max, you you really, really don't like having to pretend to discover the mythos. And I'm, I'm kind of on board with you on that. No, I fucking hate it. I think there's a place for it, but uh, I, I definitely do agree. Uh, it is not always done very well or in a way that's very interesting. So one potential thing um, with respect to Delta Green telling or not telling the agents what specifically it is that has drawn their attention and why they're there. Take, for example, Night Floors. Uh, Night Floors is a king and yellow scenario. What draws Delta Green's attention is that in the apartment of a missing person is a piece of paper with the yellow sign drawn on it. So in this paradigm that I'm considering, what if the briefing is, okay, there's a missing person. Among their possessions was found a drawing. Um, it's no, it, it is a known, I guess, a known mythos symbol. It's called the yellow sign. It has to do with this 
play that was written in France. We can't give you a copy because it's a mimetic hazard, but like, here's a bunch of stuff that we know about. Here's what to look for. Here's what to be aware of. Here's some best practices for how you can avoid getting sucked into Carcosa yourself, as opposed to go there. We found a thing. We can't tell you anything about it. Good luck. I think that this really depends on whether your players are... Because the thing is that most people most people that I encounter who I'm playing this game with uh, are like have already read pretty much every piece of Delta Green printed matter there is to, to know about. So I think that the style of go in blind would work just fine for those, for, for those people who don't know anything. But I think that what you're describing is nice because it... it does get at something that's completely reasonable for people to do in world, which is to give them a bit more warning. But I don't necessarily think it solves the problem of the cat being already out of the bag. But I, I do, I do take your meaning, which is that if there's something that the players are all going to know out of character, you might as well tell them in character somehow. I think that's it's not necessarily how I handle it because my my pref, my pref, preferred method is just to have something that they, that they don't know, make up something new, but you're going to eventually step on some well-trod ground. And if that's the case, then you might as well tell them, yeah, those are aquatic humanoids. They're humanoids that live in the aquatic. Cause they're going to know. Yeah. I had the same approach in, in other games, like the one about subterranean um, architecture and large fire breathing reptiles uh, with respect to, Oh, you mean I seriously have to pretend to not know what a troll is? Come on. It's a fucking troll. Yeah. That, this is a, this is a debate that comes up all the time with regards to the old monster manual. Cause there's a school of thought, which is, you know, there's already hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of D&D monsters out there. Why do you need rules for creating another one? And the response is because my players have read all those hundreds and hundreds of monsters because they've been playing this game for as long as I have. I think we've said before, you want to be creating a mystery in any case that doesn't hinge so much on guess what the name of the monster is as what's going on here. How do I fix it? Right. The mystery shouldn't be how do you pronounce Shaga? The mystery should be how the fuck do I get this thing out of here? And we've talked about that before. I'm thinking of Will Zuma's shotgun scenario now where the Shaga is literally just dripping out of the walls of a house. Here's a scenario that has an intro that players tend to like, and that would be um, my take on Artifact Zero with all the, the basement and all the files and stuff. Like, that's your briefing. What do you guys think of that? How does that fit into the paradigms we have established? I mentioned that rather than giving the players a, a textual briefing that where the where you read things to them, it's better to give them documents they can they can interact with themselves. That was one of the the, the alternatives I gave to starting the scenario with you know a gunfight or a car chase or something. Yeah, and I think it's good because it's a little more interactive. They're hunting down and picking out knowledge themselves rather than just right having an NPC tell them everything. So I'm gonna give I'm gonna give an example of of how to make a, a thing a, a briefing more interactive. Uh, I had a scenario that started with the um, players going to a hospital where a guy had had a weird bug come out of him, and he was in the hospital. Yeah. And they were like, "Oh, we got the weird bug in storage. We got the weird bug eggs. We got the weird bug dispenser. We got all the weird yeah. bug related elements here for your perusal." And I was like, "Oh, it's the great weird because bug dispenser." Yeah, because the players can use their, you know, medical skills or whatever to look over the stuff. They can interact with the doctor. They can ask the patient questions. And then after I wrote it, I was like, wait, this is like really sedate. It starts with a with a conversation with a guy. And then like probably the players are gonna want to, you know, everyone's gonna want to use every single possible skill that they have to interact with every single object, like it's an old Sierra adventure game. Yes. And then I was like, wait, um, how about they go? They have to go to the place where the EMTs just said, "Hey, there's a weird bug that came out of our patient. It's somewhere in the house. Someone get animal control." And then you go inside there, and one of them's hunting for it with a cricket bat under the bed. <laughs> nice. So I don't know. That, I mean, that that does have the problem of like, you know, is it really plausible that everyone's within driving distance of this house in like the Midlands in the UK? But then I realized that yeah, because the whole you can traverse the whole country in like a five-hour drive and. Uh, moreover, it is less important that it be plausible and more important that it be fun. Yeah, there are certain gaps in logic that are forgivable and the product is just a good time. Most gaps in logic, I would say. One thing that I like about the concept of cracked agents in the uh, book called Labyrinth, the Delta Green um, book of dangerous cults and NPCs and so on, that was recently released and it has a concept in it called cracked agents and a cracked agent is any agent who has lost enough sand to have a disorder. So is any agent who has lost sand equal to their power? And 
a cracked agent is an agent who is able to perceive certain problems or unnatural phenomena that are invisible to normal people. So certain magical illusion effects don't work on them. They can see certain uh, specters or psychic phenomena. But one thing I like about that is that it's a confirmation that like attracts like in the Delta Green world, that people who have experienced fucked up alien bullshit in the past are more likely to experience it again or notice it again, because that establishes a veneer of plausibility towards why an agent might run into something in the wild and use that as a briefing. Why is it that out of all the people on this planet, you are the one who runs into this thing at the beginning of the scenario? Because once you're touched by it, it's going to keep coming back. You're like a magnet. You're like you're like a, a, a piece of flypaper or uh, one of those um, incense coils that they burn to kill mosquitoes. Because there, there's, there's a, there's like an, I don't remember what it is in the Delta Green fiction where there's some like broad, there's that same concept on a broader scale for why it is that all these aliens give a shit about Earth. Because part of the whole, part of the whole problem with like the ancient Lovecraftian lore of, oh, you know, humanity is insignificant, Earth's garbage, whatever. It's like, well, then why does every single fucking alien in the universe want to come here and hang out? Why do we have like 30 dead gods living on our world waiting for the time when they can rise again? There was actually something, one of the, one of one of the Delta Green partnership wrote about this actually. Yes, that's that's how I began this this yeah. tangent. Oh, uh, I, I don't that. remember. Why, I don't remember the explanation they gave, but I remember that it is it is it actually addressed. something to do with the Earth being like a doorway or something. Right. So so it's oh. not so much that they want to be here. It's just that this is kind of where they come out. Yeah. Okay. I was just remembering the bit in the original Delta Green book about why the Migo are so interested in humanity. Yeah, but that one kind of sucked. Like they're interested in us because we have imagination. Yeah, but that was the only. I completely forgot this thing about Earth being a door. That was the only thing I could think of when you brought no, it up. No, no, but but I mean, yours yours is in one of the actual Delta Green books, whereas I think this one is in one of the short stories or something. But uh, I think that it may also be that once it's one of those things where once everyone starts doing something stupid, other people are more likely to do it. Like you know, everyone else I know has bought this product, so I'll go out and buy it because thirty million people can't be wrong. And so the aliens, the aliens, it's like, or it's like, it's like the Cold War. It's like, well, if the Russians are going to try and 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 set up a government there, then it must be important. So we got to send our guys to stage a coup, or like when the Russians built their imitation space shuttle because they didn't know what the space shuttle did, but they knew it must be cool. So, and it turns out it did nothing, um, yeah. except fucking explode twice. Uh, the aliens are probably after a certain point, the Migo are just like. You know they're they're hanging out doing their thing, and then the star spawner like, look at these fucking guys. They they know something we don't. We got to get down there. And then the servant men are like, I guess the servant men come from this planet, so they're probably already there. And suddenly they're surrounded by all these assholes. Oh my god, we have to close the human brain gap. Human yeah. brain gap. <laughs> like I could just see all these like serpent men or whatever collect. They've got this giant pyramid of human brains because. The Migo want them, so there's got to be something special about this thing. I think that we kind of have converged on making the introduction as exciting as good. Uh, one of the things that I think that I didn't talk about that we can kind of splice in is that you can make an exciting intro that doesn't punish people for not bringing murder badasses if you just do the Iconoclast thing and make it someone else that you play as, because that is a great way to square... Um, the tension right now is you want the players to get to do something fun at the beginning instead of something boring, but you also want it. There's also a plausibility problem where like, why would the players have responded to this mundane nine 11 call? Or why would they be digging up these artifacts here in the desert and on a mundane, like, you know, do they, do they work for the power company or something? And they're digging a line here. So you start out as the, uh, as the, the mundane NPC is having a mundane thing. And yeah, there's the problem of like these guys, shouldn't believe in ghosts and wizards and shit even though the players know they're real but that gets out of the way pretty quickly when those people either get killed or maybe they kill the monster but it's evidence of a larger problem and then the players can show up and investigate and we know that uh one of our discord users did the same thing he wrote he wrote a system to do this for any situation but i think that it is a fun way to make the introduction of the scenario more exciting without making the whole thing a kind of meat grinder of like you're immediately thrown into a dangerous situation with no uh like through through no without without getting any any chance to to defend yourself
I was thinking about an episode of another lovely podcast I listened to where they get a very in-depth discussion about cults. They had a whole lot of cool cults they talked about, but I was thinking today, how would I take that discussion and bring it into the world of Delta Green? Because here on Greenbox, we're always trying to think about how do I make this playable? And I'm going to open up the discussion to the squad because I think that cults are a lot of fun, but they are very cliche. And so it's important to make them more interesting. When I use cults as my go-to, whenever I need like an analogy in Delta Green or like an example, which usually it's on this show. So listeners probably know this by now, but if we're talking about, you know, uh, how to smuggle guns, my, my, my go-to thing is always, oh, you got a bunch of cultists right in there doing this and this. It's the way I frame things. But in gameplay terms, I use cults as a way to give a human face like to a, a thing that the players have to be able to interact with. The players can't kill Cthulhu, but they can kill Cthulhu cultists. Delta Green's depiction of cults runs the gamut from very fanciful to very grounded in reality. On the one hand, you have groups like the Cult of Transcendence and the Global Cthulhu Cult, who are these Illuminati-type figures that have these grandiose plans and all these miniature cults under them and all this other stuff that's very um, more grounded in beliefs and uh, conspiracy theories that the developers thought were cool in the 90s before they decided that conspiracy theories were icky and conservative uh, than maybe how cults actually operate. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have groups like the uh, Bliss cultists in Wormwood Arena, which are very much like what a real cult is, which is sinister, but also friendly, but also sort of pathetic. That was a scenario that they went out of their way to make. I think it was Greg Stolze made out, made very certain that that was one that felt like something that could exist. And it was fairly small scale. It was a small number of characters, which I think was to its to its credit. I want to disagree with something you said here. You said, you know, uh, in real life, cults are somewhat pathetic, and you're not wrong there. But I think that in Delta Green, you have to make them have some teeth. Otherwise, like, what's the threat, right? What I'm going to suggest to you, Jake, is that every cult that has actually gone out and done all of this fucked up stuff, like Am Shinrikyo or Rajneesh Param, for every successful terror attack they had, they had a bunch that were just abject failures that people right. only discovered after because they were so unsuccessful. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you there about real life cults being pathetic. And no, I think I think that in Delta Green, about. cults should be pathetic most of the time and only rarely have moments of brilliance. And I think one of the great ways to get into investigating a cult is for one of their failed cult plots to attract Delta Green's attention. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good hook. Because, like, a, a successful cult attack, like, if a Delta Green game starts with the sarin bombing of a Tokyo subway, that can attract way more than just a Delta Green cell. You know, attract legit attention. So if, it has to be uh, something, like, failed, you know? If a guy gets pulled over and he's got all the ingredients to make sarin gas and he's got an occult tattoo... And then you find out he lives in a compound. Well, then that's a little bit more of an introduction. Yeah. Those are some cool hypothetical Om Shinrikyo scenarios. And the Om Shinrikyo scenario that I actually wrote and ran, uh, the like Om offshoot cult was discovered by the Mythos investigators when one of their bombers accidentally blew himself up in his uh, cattle station turned ranch house in the Australian outback in the Western Australia desert. Oh, so they could recover like the one piece of his arm that had the tattoo. No, because the bomb, the bomb like fused him to the wall and shit because it was oh, wizard. Yeah, technology. that's way cooler. Pretty rad. So I mean, like that, I mean, my typical cult use is just so that I have human mooks around that the players can do things with that aren't just like if 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 all the little mooks in the scenario are just monsters and the players just kill them, but if they're people, then there might be women and children, or might be you know. Wait, people might want to save them or do other things. I really haven't got much more into cults beyond like that kind of surface level. It's a cult, aka it's a it's a group of people who live together and you know do whatever. Uh, so like, what? <laughs> I haven't really had a need to step my step the Delta Green cult game up. I guess what I'm trying to say. I need to step mine up. A lot of my threats tend to be like uh, lone wolves or stuff. So what? What are some tips you guys would say? I guess without getting like too much into what makes a cult like what what makes a cult all right 
Uh, I think in terms of what's actionable in gameplay, you want to look at how a cult actually behaves rather than any kind of belief system or necessarily internal organization. It's about uh, controlling members, coercing them, kind of isolating them from the rest of the world. There was a post on the Boston subreddit a couple of years ago mentioning how a lot of hazardous groups, the author called, uh, were targeting college students in Boston because they are naive and insecure. And a lot of them are away from home for the first time in their lives and are therefore very vulnerable to being targeted. So it's uh, the, the group is made up of people who are vulnerable or they're flawed or like there's something, there's like some compelling reason that there's a part of this group, right? Yeah. Like you'll hear people say sometimes, oh, I thought I was too smart to get pulled in by a cult. But the reality is intelligence doesn't really have anything to do with it. It's about like what you need emotionally at that time and the cult's ability to identify that need and present themselves as the only thing that can give it to you. And sometimes that thing isn't even like attached to the the reason for the cult's existence. It's just like a sense of belonging. Yeah, something like that. So I guess in gameplay terms, you might say that as your relationship with a bond deteriorates, that bond might look for it from other sources in the same way you're trying. If you're a min-maxer, you'll try to develop new bonds rather than maintain the ones you already have. And one of those new bonds your NPC is developing might be with a cult. I guess in gameplay, there's a difference. I can't really qualify it, but there's a difference between you have a bad thing. You have a bad guy. He's surrounded by a group of henchmen, and they're just like a gang. You know, just criminals. And they stumbled upon something mythos-related. As opposed to they're a cult. They worship this thing, or they have bonded with this thing. You know, whatever. Like, there's... this Mechanically, it's still like a you know, a, a compound that you clear out and then fight the bad guy. But gameplay-wise and, like, story-wise, those are two kind of dis- different things with kind of distinct flair to each one. You know what I'm saying? I don't necessarily know if they're separate things. Like, I think that's where the term hazardous group comes in is a much more useful thing because a cult, among other things, just has sort of the patina of mysticism and religion to it. Whereas the thing you want to be looking at is how does this group enforce obedience in its members like in the new delta green material they refer to majestic 12 as a cult a couple of times and i think that's kind of a, a good barometer for it yeah i think you're right i'm saying for i guess i'm looking at more of like a uh not so I'm looking, at, I'm looking at more of like a surface level uh, and not definition but like if you handed me a one-page scenario to run and it's, it described this group as a cult and this or this group as a gang or criminal organization i would run them even if they were exactly the same written otherwise i would run those two things very differently um and but that's maybe that's just because my own like you know notions about cults and things um so i don't know where to go from here i have nowhere to throw it but that's <laughs> where my head is at <laughs> so i'm just going to trail off yeah, I, I guess it's more like why why would you why would you make your group of bad guys a cult when they could just be a group of bad guys? Well, I I guess like uh, just a group of bad guys as long as they're doing the same thing as a cult, isn't it? Like mechanically, uh, they're the same thing. They're just like targets on a shooting range, obstacles to overcome. Yeah. So all right. So assuming that's true, you're writing a scenario, and what makes you decide whether this is a this this bad guy group is a cult or not a cult? I guess maybe the difference is like how determined they are. Like uh, a cult isn't necessarily going to have someone who is like radical, prepared to die for the cause. Whereas like you could certainly have a more determined cult where there are a lot of the more radical types. But, you know, I guess like a soft cult is going to have, you know, groups of people. gentler cult. Yeah, kindler, gentler cult. Exactly. In general, cults should not have large numbers of zero-san NPCs who are willing to fight to the death over anything, because that's really, really boring, and it just turns the whole thing into, oh, well, fucking roll firearms again. Right, yeah, like, you want to have an in. You want to have something that you can press, you know, with your human or your mice tactics or whatever. You can have a zero-san NPC or two, but they should be kept away from the public and should not be the driving force behind the organization because um, in addition to uh, I my just personally really disliking Zerus and NPCs, it also leads to very uninteresting gameplay because if there's no 
human motivations or human personality to interact with, then the only solution is just increase the lethality percentage until it goes away. Which is kind of a boring, unfun thing to happen. You want to give it's, your agents other ways to win. It's certainly fun the first time. Yeah. But it's it's nice to give the agents other ways, other solutions. If they choose to take firearms and that's the way it, it ends up, you know, through a comedy of errors or whatever, then so be it. But you want to, you know, you want to give them, you want to make sure they know they had other choices, which actually makes having a firearms everyone like feel worse when they realize that they could have, you know, tried talking or could have, you know, done any number of other things. I, I guess like, as, as, in, a, in a cult setting, a zero CMPC might make a good. I was trying to think like I'm not sure they make a good leader, but they might make a good like Oracle is the wrong word, but like no, I, I understand like, what you're saying. Mystery figure like that's the, yeah. the first person that they get. It's like it's like the guys in the in the jars in Minority Report. They're the ones that they get the yeah. the, the prophecies from, but they can't interact with normal society, so they have to be kept away. So all right, so so let's say you're. And it, you know, creating a double green scenario, uh, you've decided that you know your antagonist is a cult, or, or there's a cult involved. How do you make it not just okay? It's a bunch of people that have the same views that live on a commune and are are boring. How do you breathe some life into it and make it interesting and investigatable, interactable? There's all kinds of people who are in cults, and a lot of them provide more interesting behaviors than just fighting to the death all the time. Uh, you can have, I, we have a list here. You can have people who are in the cult, but are not excited about continuing to be in the cult and would rather leave, but they can't because the cult has taken their personal vehicle, their home, their money, or they'd given those things up at some point and they can't get them back. So they cannot leave. There is the possibility of people who are in the cult for very selfish reasons and don't believe in any of its doctrines, but are keeping up an impression to extract something like there could be a con artist who's trying to swindle them or someone who's trying to have sex with great leader's wife or something or vice versa. Uh, I really like using, I really like the idea of having someone involved in the cult that is working at odds against the cult, but you don't realize it till maybe later. That is a really cool idea. There is so very often in, in these situations, you'll get allegations that the, and th- this is like sometimes something that's that's made up by people who want to maintain belief in the cult leader while also having the ability to acknowledge that it was fucked up. There's there's off there's often people who will who will say um, that the real monster is not the great leader; it's his wife or vice versa. Like with um, Rajneesh Param, a lot of people were saying, "Oh, it, it was actually um, his like number one disciple who was the real force behind all the terror attacks, and he himself didn't know anything about it," which I'm pretty sure is bullshit but it's one of those things that lets you maintain like faith in the project when confronted with evidence that was horrible similar to how um like maoists maintain to this day that mao is innocent and it was his wife that was doing all the bad things you got me thinking one of the things i mean i guess this works for non-cults too but um i was watching some i saw some video on the branch davidians and without getting into waco and all that main leader david gresh was only leader for a short time he kind of splintered off and got a bunch of people together and like retook leadership of the cult so you could have you know don't i guess the advice i'm getting here is like don't use your cult as one monolithic object maybe there's a splinter faction like the number two or the number three is broken off or something um that could be leverage that could be you know maybe a way to solve things with without violence if one is going to be less bad or whatever um or it could be a wrench you throw in is your agents are raiding the compound you know the other guy shows up with his armed goons to try to take the cult over and all of a sudden you've got a, th- a three-way the other type of character that you can have in these situations is a psychologist or anthropologist or other personality who is there to study the cult there have been people in real the real oh, yeah. world done journalistic projects where they inter- interacted with cultists those characters are yeah. sources of information but they also can be a hassle uh, don't mind me. I'm just doing this ethnography, and uh, no, I can't tell you about it. That's privileged, classified information. The other good source of information is stuff like you know the the the, the contractor who dug the septic tank. Who, if you want to have him give you a good clue, might be like, "Yeah, I dug a septic tank that was ten, you know, four times bigger than it needed to be, but their money spent well." And you know, who gives a shit what those idiots, you know, really needed? Or maybe he has no 
actual intel. He just is a, is a way to get in and out because he's not a cult member. He's just you know someone who services the HVAC or something. In Future Perfect Part 2, there is a cult leader and his disciples who live in a barn near some mounds that are infested with snake creatures. And the reason why he created the cult is that one day while he was hanging out by the mound, he saw one of the snake creatures and it almost killed him. And so he decided, I'm going to be a bulwark against snake creatures. And so he founded his anti-snake creature religion to defend the mounds from snake creatures. And so they all live in like a barn and they have like a million guns to kill snake creatures with. Are there any like uh, cargo cults in Delta Green? Yeah, Majestic 12. Oh, good one. That's what it is. It's people worship aliens in order to get their technology. There are other smaller versions of the same thing that show up in different scenarios. For example, in the adventure Owl's Head Mountain, there are human beings who serve the Migo in exchange for gifts of eternal life or other benefits. You see, I feel like those would be more motivated to protect what they have, right? They're not necessarily ones that you can roll over easily enough. That's not true. The way that you win that scenario is by helping the uh, the main antagonist die because he is tired of eternal life. <laughs> Please just put me out of my misery. Like an application of firearms is exactly what that guy needs then, huh? Nope, because he's immortal. I haven't read it, and I haven't had the opportunity to play it either. The scenario, Music from a Darkened Room, very peripherally touches on the cult of the Black Man, also known as the Crawling Chaos, also known as the Mighty Messenger, who is a devil figure in the mythos who appears to give humanity knowledge that will destroy us. But his cult, in both the stories that Delta Green is based on and in Delta Green itself, is strongly associated with something called the witch cult hypothesis, which is an idea that some Victorian absinthe head had that actually witch cults were totally real, yo, and the witch burnings of the 100 years, 100 years, 30 years war, 30 years war, were like an attempt to get them under control. And uh, in real life, pretty sure that's horseshit. But in Delta Green, the whole idea of the witch cult open up, opens, and I think Tom... You've done. You 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 would agree with me on this. The whole the whole idea of the witch cult opens up a fascinating new possibility space, because now the question is not you know oh they killed like someone because her neighbor said that she could turn into a goat because she wanted to get her turnips. It's did they kill the witches because the witches were actually bad, or have the witches been acting in self defense the whole time against a world that fears and hates them? Are these people? accepting the crawling chaos as wisdom doing so because they're bad people or is it like a so in in a game called pathfinder there is a deity called girona or girona the hag who is super cool because she's basically you know you guys ever know that you know you guys know the movie um unforgiven sure is that one the, with uh the uh, uh clint eastwood and uh morgan freeman the movie unforgiven is a film about a no good road agent who is hired to fuck some guys shit up after they slash up a prostitute at a saloon in this piece of shit, you know, wild west style town. And that spirit of mercenary vengeance for a woman at the margin of society who has been injured by, you know, the cruelty of the squares is, I think, the most interesting part of the witch cult. Because the witch cult is not like regular old cults. It's more like uh, I had one of these um, in the in, in our abortive first recording of this. I had the cultist motivation segment where I described the text from uh, an evil guest about why specifically mythos cultists do what they do. Number one, because they are not welcomed by anyone else, but they are treasured by the servants of the old ones. Number two, because they get the secret knowledge. And number three, because they get the secret power. So let me ask you, uh, a player-facing question. Uh, you're a group of Delta Green players, and you're running across a cult um, in, you know, in your scenario. Uh, any, specific, any specific advice on dealing with them versus you know, just kicking the door down and shooting everyone? Anything to make it you give you a leg up as a player? Well, one potential in that you have as a result of a cult as opposed to not, I guess, is that presumably a cult wants to expand its own numbers. So there's a potential that potentially makes it easy to 
to infiltrate, I guess, as a prospective member or easier anyway. Yeah. I, I was going to think, I was thinking if it's, if, if it's just a gang or, you know, criminal enterprise, it's just probably, I think you're maybe less likely to find, and I could be wrong in this. I'm not an expert on cults or gangs. Um, with a cult, you might be, find leverage. You might find someone who wants out, but is too afraid to get out. So that's leverage and potentially intel. Whereas with a gang, that may be less likely. So we're going to look, look for something along those lines. I have no idea if that's actually true or not. So maybe that's horrible advice. But if you can convince your, your handler that it's true, that's, that's good. Good. I think my advice would be something I hinted at earlier is to use like humans and information gathering to try and identify uh, the weakest link. You know, with uh, we, we talked in other episodes about mice, the uh, money ideology, coercion, or ego, both like what of those points is why, why is this person involved in this cult and how can you spin that to get them to do what you want? Well, I think to- if we're applying mice to cultists, then we skip right to I ideology, don't we? Uh, not always necessarily, because like we said, there might be some people who are there just for a sense of belonging. There might be people who are there to meet chicks or whatever. Uh, how we said, not every cultist has got to be a diehard true believer. So like, look, try and try and see like why the members are there and how you can influence them to leave or to tell you what you want to know or both. I think, or I suspect a lot of cults are also built around some sort of a mystique. And while it might be dangerous to like poke a hole in that, but if you can kind of prove something wrong, you can maybe waver the faith there a little bit and you maybe give yourself an in an that way. Or like if you ask the doomsday cultists what day doomsday is and you're like, all right, well, let's wait and see. You could also go the other direction with it, couldn't you? Because what's, what's the most fun part about secret knowledge? It's sharing that knowledge. You know, knowing a secret makes you think like you're, you're smarter than everybody else. So you play into that. You know, please tell me your secret knowledge. Oh my God, is that is that really true? How can this be true? You're so smart for having figured this out. Tell me more. I guess that's ego. Yeah, or if uh, I'm just thinking, if you have if you have, you have a cult leader that is is a charlatan and he's just faking it all, but you have someone on the team who actually knows every geometry and can do some legit stuff, and the and the bad guy knows it's his stuff is all fake, that might be a good in as well. Now, um, do you guys have favorite unnatural? organizations or cults either that you have written that someone else has written or that come from the delta green canon well there's the starkweather foundation that is one that was not created by us it was created by that other guy right yes james nevitt so james nevitt had an idea that um beyond the mountains of madness was a cool scenario and it should be brought forward in a delta green yeah so he created this um this uh, this organization called the Starkweather Foundation, which was founded by the survivors of the Starkweather Expedition, as a front for we can say spoilers in this podcast as a front for smuggling brains down to the Elder Construct to keep it powered. And Max and I, in in the the far flung future year of 2018, I think, after having done our own playthrough of Mountains of Madness, I think Max, Max looked at it first and went, "Hey, this is pretty cool. Let's bring it into the current era of Delta Green." And then, we'll well, my, my feeling was, "This is cool. It's only a paragraph, and I can't use it. It doesn't have any information. There's no words on it." And so I thought, um, "Why don't I just take this and stuff into all these scenarios that I'm already writing?" Because I had the idea for the heads in a jar scenario, um, and I was like, "This is a good framework. I like this." The thing that I like about the Starkweather Foundation is that it's the foundation isn't working for the Elder Things. They just happen to be working alongside them and the Elder Things kind of, you know, tolerate them. But they are still very much a mythos cult. They are working towards the interests of of a mythos entity or entities, namely the Elder Things. Those interests just happen to be preventing the destruction of the Earth. And, you know, they're 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 doing it through some what's the what's the term for that? Where you have a choice and it's not very good, but it's better than the other choice, which is even worse. Choice, I guess. Fucking existence. I, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, I'm sure the 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 leaders and the operatives of the Starkweather Foundation very much think that they're the good guys. I wrote a thing where I had basically turned ISIS, which is like a death cult, into a mythos death cult by just adding a little sprinkle of uh, blessings from Yig to it. Sprinkle some artifacts on it. <laughs> No, it's uh, no artifacts. Just some, uh, just some neat abilities, uh, hypergeometry abilities. Jake, you didn't, you didn't write that cult. You just took your unfinished scenario document and submitted it to the contest. I wrote it, didn't I? I have no way of proving that. Yeah. I mean, all, all. I mean, I'm not a great. Uh, I'm more of a you know, do as I say, not as I do. Because the only cult I've written for Delta Green was 
the world's they're just a bunch of you know meth smugglers who you gun down so like they're, they're not <laughs> they're not very a very good call they could have just been a criminal organization you know i don't think they ever recalled they didn't display any like they're kino called the name only nice if you can diagrammed how much of a cult there it is never yeah. mind, never mind. <laughs> you know you got something there though you might actually be on do the, do the venn diagram cult method like uh, one one circle is like true belief in something. Another one is like belonging. Another one is uh, deadly, you know, unnatural powers. I don't know. I'm just fucking spitballing here. Uh, anyone else have any thoughts of green cults they want to mention or bring up? Let's see. I think that in canonical Delta Green, uh, the sowers are pretty good, although they suffer from, first of all, just being another fucking avatar of Nyarlathotep, but also... They suffer from not having like a super strong end game. Like their plan is to occasionally kill people and occasionally have miscarriages. Like they're just not that dynamic in the same way that maybe some of these other ones are. And the Scopsy were, I guess, pretty cool because they have this cool. Um, they're supposed to be based on like the real life Scops, but they're actually a lot closer to the um, the cult of Cabell. Uh, who was the original Magna Mater from uh, Phrygia during the ancient Greek times, uh, fertility goddess who had a cult of castrated priests who would uh, worship her secret mysteries. So that's pretty good. And then I'm just looking at my, um, if I had one of my own that I wanted to do, but uh, I think Star Wars Foundation is probably the top of the top of the pile. Um, oh, the one I had that my other favorite club from my list was Talking Dog Club which is a bunch of kids who found a ghoul uh, that had been hit by a car. And so they, one of them hid it in his garage, his parents' garage, because his parents are like um, uh, hopheads or addicted to opioids or whatever. So they are learning all the spells from the talking dog because it's rewarding them for saving it. Nice. One that I did that I, I had a lot of fun with is, I don't know if it's usable, but it's definitely my favorite of the ones I created, was when I was writing a scenario for... Uh, um, Pisces, I decided that it would be fun to have... So so Delta Green lore explanation for Kevin, because Kevin was was blindsided by this. Uh, Pisces is, is, is like British Delta Green. British Delta Green is controlled by Shans, which are bugs from space. And the Shans worship the nuclear madness known as Azathoth because... Um, their the the secret temples to Azathoth they found on their planet gave them access to unlimited atomic power because Azathoth is a giant black hole who shoots out radiation everywhere. So they use them to get to power all their spaceships. But they're really racist and intolerant of other religions. So when they land in the UK, they go around destroying all the other mythos cults. And when they take over Pisces, they keep destroying the other cults and it looks like Pisces is doing its job because they're exterminating all the alien religions that worship the, the space gods. And so I thought, okay, well, well here's what's going to happen. Um, there's, like, the remnants of the witch cult in Britain that worship Neolathothep and through him, the Crawling Chaos. They signed the names of the Book of Azathoth. So, like the CIA giving guns to a hill tribe in Vietnam and saying, go fight the communists, the Shan said to the Daughters of the Black Man, you are now the one legitimate mythos cult in Britain go forth and kill all the other ones. And so they exterminated the daughters of the faceless man. They exterminated the stone sisters. They exterminated the, uh, the hand that feeds. And then the problem is, is that they didn't completely exterminate them. So now that Pisces is no longer owned by the Shans, they lost their government backing. And so like the South Vietnamese, they're now faced with a bunch of very angry people who they started a lot of shit with and dad's no longer sending the checks. It's, it's funny because I like what you do with Pisces, and after realizing I didn't know much about it, I read a little bit about it. But like, the canon Pisces is just so stupid; <laughs> it's so dumb. Um, it's so it's refreshing that you were able to take something so bad and make it interesting. So, what are what are like the are are there any um? There's like all the cults in the old um stories, like the Cthulhu cult and the Migo cult, and so on, and those run. Basically, there's two types there. There are the guys that worship the old gods and kind of don't have like a direct hotline to the boss. Like people who have no reasonable expectation of reward or whatever, have no way of even knowing if what they're doing is correct. And then there's guys like um, those hill people who work with Amigo who 
like if you want to if you want to know hey what does what does dad want me to do today you can call him up on the on the ansible and the amigo will say uh go to this place and dig up this object and then you get some kind of uh you know present from them in exchange so you can sort of slice the slice the thing into two different categories one is the cult that is directly controlled by the forces from beyond and the other is the people who have found some scrap of the divine and are now toying with it i guess the only thing i wanted to mention is, is you know i was a little harsh on like the lazy uh, harsh on myself for using lazy cults but i don't want people if you really want to have a bunch of dudes in robes chanting around a statue and it works for your scenario freaking lean into it and go for it make it, it's awesome if you want to go different than that like go deep into cult research and make it a really interesting cult but don't feel like you're wrong for using like the most canonical you know cliche of a cult oh yeah it's, it's, a, use it. it's a trope for a reason yeah oh uh favorite cults um Tom, I know that you felt that your um, old buck lives again needed significant rework, but I did love the NPCs in that one because they all had very strong personalities. Thank you. I stole pretty much all those guys from that book I read and like a little spin-off pamphlet by the same author. author. And I have the same thing to say about Long Live the Queen. I think that's what I was talking about earlier when I said um, that witch cults have a very interesting especially in the context of delta green where the default action is assumed to be destroying everything but that's not always the case have an interesting um puzzle or question that they pose about who was really as they say who was in the wrong here <laughs> are the rest of the is the rest of the squad familiar with this material no so um Tell us. long live the queen was a snare that tom wrote about a delta green expedition to a town in the hills of i forget where in italy it is tom in central italy i forget exactly which region i said it in it's around like the the fucine lake which was almost an inland sea in italy at one point but then in the late 1800s they dried it all up which is there are parmigiana the witches there are holding a convention to elect a new queen of witches because baba yaga's dead and they have like two different witch factions that have different paths that they want to take their their people. And you, Delta Green, get in, get dragged into this because the witches have um, inadvertently kidnapped the son of the del- the director of operations, who was just memeing it up looking for sex and alcohol in the hills of uh, the old country. That's not a music joke there, but I can't connect the dots fast enough to make it. Uh, the hills are alive with the sounds of sexual deviance yeah i mean like something like that is i mean look sometimes you need to take part of a shot and hope that somebody else can l you with the rest of the way i could not l you it. sorry it wasn't good enough sorry, it's like volleyball. i'll set it and then you set it and then someone else sets it and we hope the last person can spike the reason i liked that scenario was for the thing that you said earlier kevin about how is either kevin or somebody else said that cults should have different factions inside of them yeah. let's talk about waco yeah yeah and that was one that had two very clear NPC factions. And Tom, if I remember correctly, the one difficulty that you had with it and the reason why you later said you weren't satisfied was that you felt it was somewhat difficult to communicate that to the players, that it wasn't necessarily a meaningful choice because they weren't actually getting the whole picture of why they should care about two different kinds of witches. Yeah, and the playtest, uh, it was entirely too... There was a lot more time spent actually getting to the camp and figuring out like where the kid had gone than actually interacting with any of the witches in the camp. So that that is a teachable moment though because one thing about this, you know, you can have like a rich detailed cult, but if you don't have and I've run into I run into this all the time, if you don't have a way to communicate information about it to the players, then there's not anything for them to do other than just smash it to pieces. Yeah, that goes back to something I mentioned earlier where it's like if you're if your players end up in violence because that's the the way they chose and they knew the options, that's great. But if you have all these other really intricate pieces they can interact with, but you don't make them interactable enough, then like you as a writer kind of failed and drove them to violence. Like make make the players do that. It's a little more No, I don't think so. Failed. I was I was in on that play test and a bunch of us brought hammers instead of uh Yeah, no, I mean I was, I, was just, I was speaking generally not so oh, okay. I, don't, I don't know the scenario, so I didn't wasn't there, but yeah. Yeah, we brought hammers and I wish that we had uh 
interacted with it a little more because when I read it afterwards, I was like, oh man, this is really good. Very detailed and rich. Thank you. I think it's a cool concept that needs a better like structured scenario around it to kind of push you there as fast as you can and give you a reason to talk to everybody. And that scenario, I had liked it so much when I read it that I decided to write an interquel between that and one of my witch cult scenarios called uh, Big Rock Candy Mountain, which I think in the end suffered from a similar issue where there were a lot of NPCs that had a very kind of rich interplay between them, but it all happened outside the player's field of view. So these internal divisions between the characters were not something that they could really exploit because by the time they caught up with the escaped witches trying to flee to the convention site on another continent, all of the interesting factional interplay had already occurred off screen between NPCs. And we, I know we've, we've definitely talked about that, you know, show, not tell, made these interactable. Um, so that's, it's good that that advice echoes through multiple, you know, multiple discussions. <laughs>